Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolfe, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. While the science aligns on what's healthy for a baby's brain development, when it comes to how to care for our babies, there's a seemingly endless supply of competing perspectives. Parents are swimming in advice on sleep, feeding, and parenting philosophies. In this season of the podcast, we aim to provide a variety of curated perspectives so you can make informed choices for your family. We all have aspirations for our little people, and there are so many ways to define success. Finding purpose in life and work, reaching goals, whatever those might be surrounding yourself with loved ones. Psychologists have pointed to a handful of practices that could help our children achieve these things. Spending time with your child is a big one, letting your child make decisions, and prioritizing kindness. Today's guest knows a little something about raising successful children. Her daughters, Susan, Janet, and Anne, are among the most powerful women in Silicon Valley. They are, respectively, the CEO of YouTube, a professor of pediatrics at the University of California at San Francisco, and the founder and CEO of genetic testing company 23andMe. Esther Wojcicki is known to some as the godmother of Silicon Valley, and to her students, simply as Waj. She is the author of How to Raise Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results. Great to have you with us today, Esther. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction, and I'm very honored to be here with you, and I look forward to this exciting conversation. So I have to begin with a little bit of an edgy question. Did you set out to raise CEOs? (laughs) That's a really great question. Um, I can tell you honestly, I did not set out to raise CEOs. My main goal for my daughters when they were born was I wanted to teach them to be as independent as possible. So that was really my goal. How can I help them feel good about themselves and be independent? And it was a very simple goal. There were no parenting books that told me how to do it. There was no research and education institutions that told me how to do it. I just, this is what I wish I would have had when I was little. So I said, this is what I want my daughters to grow up with. I want them to grow up with a sense that they can be independent and they can do whatever it is they choose to do. Tell me more about what you tease out in your book, the acronym TRICK. So yes, in my book, I put this acronym and the purpose of putting the acronym is to help people remember in an easy way what I think is the most important part of parenting. And TRIC stands for trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness. And so what I say is what you want to do is give your child as much trust and respect as possible. You might want to teach them how to do a few things, then let them do it, 
and respect their ideas when they do things, give them as much independence as possible. I want kids to feel independent, be independent, collaborate with them instead of dictating. You know, parents in general, the general pattern is that you dictate, you tell your child what to do, and they have to do it. And so my goal was, let's collaborate on this. Let's talk about why you have to do what you're doing and see whether there's some input from the child. And then kindness. You need to treat them always with kindness. And Mr. Rogers, he said that there's three things that guarantee success. Number one, kindness. Number two, kindness. And number three, kindness. So that's something that always stuck with me, and I think it's really important for us to remember how important kindness is in child-rearing and in just personal relationships. Do you give beautiful examples and like really vivid examples in your book about what does trust really look like with a child? Is there an anecdote that you could share with us of what trust can look like in our modern-day society? I'm thinking about the Target example. Um, where you had your grandchildren go into Target and shop for themselves, but maybe there's another example or maybe that's the one. What I did is I had, I have, still have them. I have 10 grandchildren and two of them, two girls that are about, were about eight and nine, had to go to buy some school supplies. And Susan, my oldest daughter, asked me, could I take them to go shopping for school supplies? And so I thought, well, of course, I can go shop. They can go shopping for school supplies. What a fun experience. And then I, at the same time, I had to take another child to get a haircut. So I thought to myself, well, why don't I just drop those two girls off at Target by themselves? And this is Target in Mountain View, California. It's a very nice store. And I just dropped them off there. And I said, hey, girls, when you're done, text me and I'll come pick you up. And, you know, you're supposed to buy school supplies. So let's just go in the store and you can get your school supplies and look around and then let me know. And then I took the boy to get his hair cut. And in the middle of this whole experience, my daughter calls me, Susan, and she's like, so how's the shopping going with the girls? And I said, well, I dropped them off at Target and they're shopping. They're going to call me when they're done. And there was this long silence on the phone. And then she was like, what did you say? Where are the girls? And I said, well, you know, they're shopping. She said, you dropped them off alone at Target? And I said, well, you know, last time I was at Target, it looked pretty safe to me. And I'm not kidding. They were so happy and so empowered by this experience. It worked out beautifully for the girls and for everything. And I can tell you, eventually, Susan came around and said she thought (laughs) it was a good idea. But it took a while. And I think she is, and all these mothers all over the country today, are all in this mindset that you don't want to leave your child alone anywhere. And you always need to protect them. I put the example in the book. Because I want people to realize that we are just all so ultra worried about things that perhaps we shouldn't be that worried about. 
one way to empower your child is to give them an opportunity to do things like this alone. Go to a store alone. You know, if it's not far away and they can walk or if you can drive them there, giving kids an opportunity to make a difference, you know, maybe even make a dessert for the family or come up with like a plan for what are we going to do this weekend? My daughter B makes B style eggs in the morning for everyone and cracks the eggs and whisks them. And I let her cook them on the stove and, you know, everybody loves her eggs. And she started doing that when she was four. So it's, it's really fun. It's a source of pride for her. You know, you talk about how you urge parents to allow their babies to self-soothe as a demonstration of trust. Can you explain that for us? Yes. Yeah, so I think one one thing that happens is babies are not given any opportunities to self-soothe. None. The minute that they start to whimper or do anything, we run in. But, you know, if you give them an opportunity I'm not saying, you know, an hour, I'm just saying a short period of time to self-soothe. They then learn how to self-soothe. And there, we lived in France when Anne was an infant. And the philosophy in France is one of self-soothing. They don't rush out the same way that American culture does to just pick up the child and do everything for them. and. You know, I remember thinking when she was an infant, gee, this is an interesting way to do it. But I did it, and it it was very effective. And, you know, in France, also, they have these people, they're kind of like nurses that come to your house after you have a baby. And they come once a week just to check and ask if you have any questions. And they promote this self-soothing. And, you know... I can say that the entire country of of France, all the people seem pretty normal to me. And they've all been through these childhoods where people, where they learn to self-soothe. Yeah, I think it's, I've heard of pausing, you know, as as a, just pause, you know, your baby sometimes might grunt or might, you know, make some kind of little moans or little whimpers, but just pausing a little bit before going in can really make all the difference in helping them. You might notice that they will go back to sleep on their own. That's right. That's exactly it. It's pausing. It's not just letting them scream and, you know, you don't want them to have a difficult experience, but just give them an opportunity to do that. So respect in the trick model. So let's break down what respect really looks like. And imagine it's like a parent of a toddler or preschooler. So starting early is a really good idea. And one of the reasons I say starting early works is because you don't have to reestablish patterns of behavior later on. You are, you've already established these patterns of behavior. And what I'm talking about with respect, you know, kids come up with the wackiest ideas. We all know that, right? And so respect means sitting there and listening. That's the number one way to show respect. You listen to their ideas, and then if they don't make sense, and if they are a little crazy, you can help them reconstruct those ideas so that perhaps the kernel of that idea can be followed. And that is really what I'm talking about with respect, just to make it really simple 
It's just listening. Listening makes such a big difference. And most of the time, we don't listen. You're dealing with a toddler. They're irrational in many cases, as you know. But if even if you don't go with their idea, just the fact that you listened goes a long way. So that's respect. The listening really resonates with me, you know, especially at around four little people, our little children just start talking and talking and talking kind of at us, you know, and then, and then that just continues until, you know, 10 or 11, it's 10 or 11, I find. And so just listening to them and listening to their ideas. I'm going to bring that advice home, Esther, tonight. I'm going to listen. My little guy, Thatcher, really loves to talk and he really loves an audience. And so I'm going to give him that respect. So thank you for that. Lots of brain growth happens in the first three years of life. But how much of who we become is predetermined by our genetics and how much is based on our early experiences? According to neuroscientists, it boils down to about 50-50. genetics and 50% environment. But what exactly is this environment? What makes for an environment that is enriching for little brains? At Lavevri, we have brought together experts from all fields of early childhood development to answer this question. Neuroscientists, Montessori experts, occupational therapists, and speech therapists. For every stage from birth to age four, we have just the right activities, tools, and information so you can feel confident you are giving your child the very best start. So you have a quote in your book, don't do anything for your children that they can't do for themselves, which I love. That's right. And it really kind of sums up that independence, you know, part of the acronym trick, I think. You know, you talk about that in your book too, some more, but I love these examples. So people, you know, what, what I think happened in the world is that people had more access to resources and they're like, oh, I'm just going to do everything for my child that I possibly can do. And what they did is they disempowered their child because they do so many things for the child and the child just sits there and is trained to just receive. When they go to school, a lot of these kids feel at a loss because they don't have that person there in their life that's doing everything for them. You talk also, you know, in your book about the path to collaboration and, you know, really like all of the trick principles that you've laid out in your book, you know, collaboration starting with you and, you know, if you have a partner that you're co-parenting with, you know, it's with your partner as well. Can you talk a little bit about what collaboration looks like? Collaboration in the the home is where I would start. So, What you want to do is collaborate with your child on as much during the day as you possibly can, instead of dictating. And it can start with just a meal, the breakfast. There can be options for breakfast. And they you can just say, I have X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, you get to pick what you think you would like to have. So I would give them as many opportunities to work with you as opposed to just following your directions. And I know it sounds like it takes more work and initially it might take more work, 
um, but it will pay off and be much better later on. So that's what I talk about collaboration starting early, just small things. And then as they get bigger, collaboration on bigger things and, you know, doing a project together, going on a, you know, camping trip together. Just think about it. If you have, it's a mother, let's say you have two kids and those kids are eight and 10, who packs the suitcase? That's a test. If you pack everything for them, and then they just follow your routine, then are they empowered? I would let them pack their own suitcase. Yes, they might forget important things, but trust me, they will then learn. And, you know, you will help them solve the problem. What do you do when you forget? You know, you didn't bring any underwear. Okay, so now what are we going to do? But it's a constant learning process. and. Um, Kids rise to the occasion and they feel really happy about it. I'm taking so many notes (laughs) as I've packed and unpacked my kids' suitcases from this weekend. So I love this. And lastly, kindness. Can you help bring this to life for us? Kindness makes such a huge difference in the world. When kids make mistakes, kids are supposed to make mistakes. They don't know how to do things. And if you treat them with kindness, they will try to do it again, and they'll do it with passion. And in the classroom, as a teacher, I can tell you, I always tried to look at it from their perspective. I mean, they got into all kinds of trouble. I can tell you, in all the years I was teaching, I don't think I ever sent one kid to the office, not one. And it's because I always felt I could talk to them about whatever it was they had done that wasn't the way it was supposed to be, I could have them write about it, and then they wouldn't do it again. And, you know, it sounds like a very simple process, but it worked. You know, I had kids who did things, you know, plagiarize, and I had to work with them, or kids that came on campus with beer. You know, if you come on the school campus with an alcoholic substance, they will expel you. It's not just suspend you, it's expel. You can imagine what could happen. But kids, they don't think clearly about things. So, you know, you need to help them. And you need to make clear, make it clear that there's always a way for them to do it again. So I think kindness involves listening to them, empathizing with them, having compassion, And it makes a big difference in their lives. And then for toddlers, toddlers who are always asking why, why, why do I have to do this? Why don't I have to do that? Why, why, why? Try to be patient and explain it to them. And honestly, when they ask why, it's a sign of intelligence. You can put it in your uh, special little bonnet where you say, my child is asking questions because he's a smart kid. It's such a fleeting stage too. I just wish my I had a little toddler asking me why. So to all the parents out there that are going to have a toddler asking why or do have one, enjoy. Esther, it's been so wonderful having you with us today. Thank you so much. 
Learn more about Montessori and other ways of growing your child's independence on our blog at loveevery.com. Esther and her book have an online presence at raisesuccessfulpeople.com. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening.